Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Inside Intercom. This week, we're continuing our series of live recordings from SASDOC 2018. In this series, we're picking the minds of practitioners at some of this generation's fastest-growing SaaS companies. These are folks that have built SaaS companies from the ground up, and will expose frameworks and philosophies that can be applied back to growing your own business. This week, we've got a real treat for anyone working in sales and marketing. We were lucky enough to sit down with Megan Eisenberg, the CMO at MongoDB, the fastest-growing database company of all time. And before that, Megan was the VP of marketing at an equally fast-growing startup, DocuSign. If you're sensing a theme here, you're dead right. Megan has led marketing at some of the fastest B2B companies in the world. Her knowledge is a step above the rest when it comes to building out marketing at hyper-growth companies. I think you bring in a CMO when you've got, you know, a sizable team where you're scaling your sales organization. I mean, I think you could do it at any time. I think the people that you bring in, though, when you're a 25 person company are probably not the same. That's going to be there at 400 or even a thousand unless they can evolve quickly. In my chat with Megan, we chat about the most important hires your marketing team needs, what B2B marketers can learn from the consumer world and how to win the hearts and minds of developers and product people with your marketing programs. Just content, you know, organic traffic, trying to learn about what's out there, thought leadership, uh, whether it's microservices or something in blockchain. They're out there learning. So we've got to create that type of content that brings them in and helps us be the domain authority around it. To hear the remaining episodes from our SaaS Talk series, don't forget to subscribe to the Inside Intercom podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, let's hop over to the conversation with Megan. You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. Megan, welcome to Inside Intercom. Thanks for joining us. Yes. Uh, since it's your debut on the show, can you give us um, a little bit of feel for your career up until you joined MongoDB? Sure. So uh, I was MIS, computer science undergrad. I was an IT engineer for a few years at Cisco and then decided to go back and get my MBA at Yale School of Management and made a transition. I thought it'd be great to come out and market technology. Mm. So last 20 years, I've been in technology, uh, product marketing, demand gen, and really came about uh, when MarTech started to, to really boom. And so um, through that, uh, was at DocuSign for three and a half years, running a, a VP of demand gen customer acquisition. And we grew from 150 people to over 1,300, with 13 million people on the platform to 50 million. And then joined MongoDB a little over three and a half years ago as the CMO. And uh, we went public a year ago. So just this week, we've been public for a year, which has been an awesome ride. And, you know, went from a little under 400 people now to over 1,200. So I've been a fun ride in tech. Absolutely. I can imagine. I mean, it kind of strikes me that the last two companies you worked for, so DocuSign and now MongoDB, have seen such incredible growth rates in terms of employee kind of headcounts, especially. Yes, and users on the platform. Yeah, and I mean, what's the sort of difference that you found between joining a company of maybe 100 or 200 people to working at a company of, you know, over a thousand people? What are the biggest differences that you find? Yeah, I think when you first join a company, you go, you need to do a lot of interviewing and understanding to to see what, what's missing and what you need to put in place because it's a critical time when you're going to hire the right people, you're going to put the right processes in place and the right technology, and through that you scale. So you're looking for your leaders that have expertise in the different pillars that are going to help you hire the teams that are going to lead the company through growth. Yeah. And so I suppose as, like as a 
uh, marketing leader, what are some of the biggest challenges that you're kind of facing on a on a day to day basis, whether at a a small company like DocuSign when you joined or at MongoDB in, in your current role? So, I mean, I think no matter what, uh, you are always trying to figure out the customer, the buyer, what's the best way to get in front of them. Uh, there's a lot of noise out there, whether it's your competitors or just others in business trying to go after the same persona you're trying to go after. So you've constantly got to innovate and be creative in how you get your message in front of people and making sure you're understanding the influencers, your product's evolving, uh, the use cases are evolving, I think challenges are certainly with talent. Everyone's trying to hire. And so, you know, you hire where the talent's at, but uh, it's it's competitive. And so you've got to not only hire great talent, but then you've got to give them compelling projects and stuff to work on and, and do a great job just really growing your team. Sure. So, and I, I mean, as a CMO, like what are, what are your first few key hires then, would you say, if you're joining a new company? Yeah, so I think the key things in marketing is you need a product marketer, someone who has the product core messaging, the differentiation, pricing, packaging, that can really understand product market fit. Uh, so I think you definitely need that. If you're not that talent, you have to have that. I think the second thing is, okay, now you've got the messaging and that kind of content, you got to get it to market, and that's the demand gen person. So uh, I would say someone who's really, I call a war workhorse. They're doing mm -hmm. webinars, they're doing email marketing, they're doing social kind of media. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and then you need to make it look good when it goes out the door. So you need some sort of creative element. Everything you do in marketing has something creative, whether it's a button online, it's a website, it's a field marketing, it's booth, it's social media, and then your web and systems. So a web developer. Sure. And is there anything specific in terms of qualities that you look for in candidates? I know that you're kind of fresh off a panel here at SASTOC and you're kind of talking about the kind of negative quality you don't like, which is called the Vic mentality. Could yes. you maybe talk us through that a little bit? Yeah, so I certainly, I want people who are solving problems. So when I'm interviewing, I'm trying to figure out, are they going to come in? Every job, I hire you because there's problems to be solved and there's roadblocks. I need someone to come in that can work with people that don't report to them, that can figure out what it takes. There's not unlimited money, so can you do it for low cost, <laughs> be creative and get everyone on board. So definitely looking for that. I think in marketing, there's so many functions. So whether you're product marketing, your demand gen, your field marketer, uh, all those are different skill sets, web and systems. So I'm, I'm definitely asking questions that would indicate domain expertise. Mm -hmm. And then I want to marry that with good problem solvers, good attitude. And then do they match the culture of the company and what we need to do? So in terms of the specific buyers of MongoDB at the moment, I imagine there may be CIOs or maybe equivalent. So it's a blend. So we do, we are the fastest growing database as a service with our MongoDB Atlas product, and that's direct to developers. Okay. So we have a ton of work and education out in the market around the developer. We have a corporate team inside sales, which may be more line of business, head of IT. And then our enterprise team is working with CIOs that are doing digital transformations or just modernizing their legacy stack. I mean, databases have been around for 40 years. Uh, we were invented at the time of the iPhone when all this, you know, mass amount of data uh, is out there and there's the variety and velocity at a pace never seen before. And so, you know, we're disrupting a lot of the old uh, database vendors. And so when you're marketing to, you know, to developers like MongoDB is doing and like Twilio is doing, like how does that influence the specific channels that you're choosing to market to? Yeah, so I mean, I think developers are on all these channels. I mean, they're definitely online reading, their blogs matter, and they want to see a lot of code. They are social. We've gone from 70,000 
social followers three years ago to 575,000. We just crossed a million people on our university. So they're coming and they're taking free courses to learn about the product and how to work with it. Uh, we've got email marketing just like everyone else. People do still respond to email if it's targeted and at the right time where they are in the life cycle of your funnel. And just content, you know, organic traffic, trying to learn about what's out there, thought leadership, uh, whether it's microservices or something in blockchain, you know, they're out there learning. So we've got to create that type of content that brings them in and helps us be the domain authority around it. Yeah, and something I've always admired about MongoDB's marketing specifically is um, sort of how community-driven it is. So could you maybe talk me through the strategy there? Yeah, so we definitely have a thriving community. We have over 100 different mugs, which are MongoDB user groups around the world. Uh, we've got Slack channels. We've got an Influitive Hub where people are doing challenges and socializing. We have a master's program for those that are just strong experts in the space. And we have a customer advisory board full of our users as well. And of course, they're social. They're out on Stack Overflow, Quora, uh, engaging, asking questions. And a lot of people just with MongoDB certification that are working on different projects around the world. Mm. And, so, and I think 2018 has been a very interesting year for open source specifically. Now MongoDB is an open source company. And also we've seen the likes of Elastic go public at you know huge, yes, huge valuations. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the maybe advantages that you know some of these open source companies have right now? Sure. I mean, you you get a huge base contributing back to it. Mm. You don't get vendor lock-in. I mean, we are our Atlas product runs on Amazon AWS. It runs on Azure, GCP. You can migrate between the cloud vendors. Uh, you've got a lot of information out there. A lot of people learning the skills. People are you know creating their stack. They want open source in that. Um, so I think it's a huge advantage from just awareness in the market and getting users who love the product. And so talk me through maybe your time at, at, at DocuSign, because I think it, what I found particularly interesting about that company is that it obviously serves, you know, a very traditional sort of B2B market. So you're selling to companies, you know, in the B2B space, but also I would imagine that it also serves a sort of very large B2C segment as well. Yeah, pretty much anyone over the age of 18 that <laughs> needs to sign a document, right? My mother used it through Morgan Stanley. I use it to buy my house. People will use it to buy a Tesla or a Harley Davidson. Um, real estate agents were really where we came up, um, huge volume there, but the financial services uh, companies, really all industries. So as a marketer, you know, we started out really targeting sales and sales ops, people trying to get sales contracts in, and then that spread into procurement. People who were doing traditional DHL or FedEx two-day, taking forever and spending $25 a doc could do it instantly through email and higher security and uh, more timely. You know, HP did a big study with us around the savings of just being able to send a document out for signature, and then that goes beyond to HR and onboarding and facilities and legal. So when we tried to do personas, we had, we started with a few and then expanded to so many. We had over 100 different nurture programs based on your title and role alone, uh, which just tells you all the different ways of using it. And what mattered was the use cases, how they were using it. Uh, you couldn't send someone in procurement a sales ops case study, sure. right? So we did build a lot of content to make sure when someone came into the funnel, we did really well around inbound marketing, making mm -hmm. sure they were like, this is the product. 
they all had similar things like, is it secure? Yes. Is it legal? Mm-hmm. Yes. It's making sure they're educated before sales even talk to them so they don't even think about those as roadblocks. So uh, for, for maybe another marketer working at a company like that with such a massive addressable market, like what sort of advice do you think that you'd give them? Align with sales immediately on who they want to talk to. Because had we brought in HR people and they were all focused on sales, they never would have even followed up. They just would have said your your leads are junk. So it was really important that we agreed on who we were targeting and we focused our programs on that. As the sales team grew and revenue, revenue targets grew, then we started to build out more personas and educate and work with sales and scoring when people came in. Sure. And I think maybe working at a B2B company now, what have you taken from working at a company that served the B2C market? Is there any sort of inspiration that you can kind of take? I mean, definitely with our developers, I feel like it's B2C, right? Mm. The individual is coming in, they're using their credit card. I think open source is very much like a free tier. So DocuSign, we had a free offering. And so a lot of learnings around the volume and what you need to do to get people on the platform and then convert them into paying customers. And... Just, you know, the core elements of marketing, understand your persona, create the content that's going to bring them in and close them and partner with sales on that process. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know that episode two of Offscript, our new series of candid conversations with Intercom, all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing, is out now on YouTube. Here's a teaser featuring our chief product officer, Paul Adams, discussing AI-first customer service. The best place for me to start is that technology only moves in one direction. Once you go through these like before-after moments, you never go back. AI has clearly already shown us that it can help in transformational ways. It has given us a new way to do customer service. And that new way is AI first. The business that provides incredible customer service is the business that will win. And the earlier that people lean into this completely new mindset, the earlier they can deliver this incredible holy grail type of customer experience, it's a huge opportunity for businesses to literally change how people think about them. It's just a matter of time. That's all to come on episode two of Offscript. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel right now, and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. Let's bring it back to the, uh, the early days of your career, where you obviously, you know, come from a, quite a technical background. How has that helped you as a marketer in general? And I can imagine it would be very useful in, in, in a company like MongoDB. You know, I think a lot of what I learned early on as an IT engineer in development is problem solving. And that there's typically a few answers. You know, when I, I left college, I went to Cisco and I programmed for master schedulers because I was in manufacturing IT. And I got APIC certified because that was the methodology they were using in their day-to-day lives. And I needed to understand the business side of it. And a lot of that, things like bottlenecks and, you know, a lead comes into one system and transfers to the next. If it didn't get there, where's the broke, you know, where did it break? And, And really mapping that out. And so when I entered into marketing, I just took that approach. I mapped things out. I looked at the flow. I troubleshoot when something's not working. Uh, and and not being intimidated by the product, I think, matters a lot. And also just thinking about the buyer. 
as an IT person, how would I have looked at the product? What would have mattered to me? What were my buying criteria? So I think it allowed me to understand the buyer more. Sure. Uh, you kind of mentioned there in terms of not being intimidated by the product. How on a sort of regular basis do you sort of stay uh, aligned with, with product? Well, very much any self-serve business, I say self-serve is marketing and product aligned and B2B is marketing and sales aligned and we have both. Um, so you've got to be aligned very closely with those organizations because it's experience you're creating, whether it's in the field, on your website or in the product. And so very, you know, same goals, understanding the experience, mapping that out and the handoff and a, a, a really important to have a feedback loop. Yeah. And so you're also an advisor at some pretty you know, well-known, incredible companies like G2 Crowd is one of them. Yes. Um, what are some of the challenges that, you know, you're hearing about at companies like this on a regular basis and sort of what's the advice that, that, that you're really giving them? Yeah, so a lot of startups are trying to figure out what's the team look like, who to hire next, understanding the technologies that are out there that are in their price range. You know, what should I be buying now versus, you know, I'm a 25-person company versus 100 versus 400. So there's definitely... I see a lot of, uh, there's pattern recognition advising uh, all these types of companies. So they're really looking at people, technology, process to put in place. There's models, you know, okay, what's a typical nurture program like? What's a, a good lead scoring model? How do I partner with sales better? Uh, I'm trying to hire someone in demand gen. What are the skill sets? I want a CMO. What, should, what questions should I be asking? Should I do a press release around this or not? So just a lot. I do see a lot of repetitive questions and, and different steps along the way to scale. And one of those questions you just raised in terms of when to bring in a CMO, do you have a particular opinion about that as to when a startup should really think about bringing in a CMO? I mean, I, I think you bring in a CMO when you've got, you know, a sizable team where you're scaling your sales organization. I mean, I, I think you could do it at any time. I think the people that you bring in, though, when you're a 25-person company are probably not the same that's going to be there at 400 or even 1,000 unless they can evolve quickly. So I would say at least 100, 200 people before you're bringing in a CMO. And I think it depends on your business. If you're self-serve, you're going to do that a lot earlier than if you're a B2B. Uh, and it also depends on the talent, whether someone's willing to take a director of marketing title versus a VP title or a CMO title. Sure. We mentioned G2 Crowd earlier. And one thing we write a lot about on our blog is also that, you know, buyers today are kind of more educated than ever. Like they're doing a lot of research themselves, going to places like G2 Crowd or Captera and, you know, talking to friends, going to Quora, yes. sort of crowdsourcing, you know, what specific products they actually uh, want to buy. And it kind of strikes me that, you know, buyers today are in a lot more, very much in the driving seat. Yes. Uh, how does that impact marketers and, and, and sales teams today, do you think? I mean, it definitely matters. So we have about 28 different technologies running, but we've bought 35 in the last three and a half years. And I will tell you, I, I have not really bought anything from an email, right? There was no email or tweet or anything. It was coming to a conference and talking to a vendor in person. It was talking and networking to other VPs of marketing and CMOs. That social proof really matters. Certainly, it's looking at reviews. Am I doing the right thing? Um, so I think G2 Crowd is definitely onto it. They're open platform. You know, the older legacy vendors like Gartner and Forrester, that's a closed system. Mm. And they tend to target Fortune 1000, and you've got to have a budget. 
you know, that just doesn't work today, right? Like I want to go pick a restaurant, I go to Yelp. I don't want to pay someone to provide me that insight. I don't even want to wait to get on the phone to talk to someone or to get a briefing from someone. I want it immediate. And if I can go and see what peers are doing, that's much more powerful. Sure. That's interesting. You mentioned about your tech stack and how much you bought over the past few years. I think you mentioned in your panel today that it's currently at, at 28. Is yes. that correct? Yeah. Yes. Uh, which is quite Apparently intimidating. Apparently under <laughs> yeah. the 50 that I should be at, wow, right? It's, it's, it's pretty <laughs> incredible. I mean, we, in terms of like, if we could pair that down is like, what would be sort of like your three must-haves uh, sure. starting as a CMO? Yeah. So uh, it really starts out for me a marketing automation platform. Mm -hmm. So we have Eloqua. Mm -hmm. And then a demand base is our personalization platform. Uh, and I've got one I've really loved recently is Conversica. Uh, it's it's a uh, automated communication. It's like an SDR that's automated. So it's not a chat. We have Drift for chat, which I think is amazing, but uh, it follows up on leads. And we have over 200,000 leads a quarter. That's way too many well, for yeah. our SDR team. So it's able to catch up. And when someone asks a question or interacts in a way that says they're ready for a meeting, then we either send it to the AE or the SDR. So I like that a lot. Um, we have Influitive as well, which has been great on the, the customer advocacy side. And then a ton of just web technologies. So, uh, yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned about the SDRs as well. I mean, a lot of that seems to be moving towards uh, automation at least, or at least the first touches. How do you see that evolving over the next couple of years? I don't think you can remove people completely. Mm. I do think it's much better to have a response and an interactive response than none at all. Uh, I, I think you potentially risk the sales cycle being longer because at some point you need to do discovery. Otherwise, you can put people in front of sales, which is a very expensive resource, without having them properly qualified or ready to close. And so I think it's going to be a blend. I think it's going to help do high repetition because, you know, Ashley Austin, our Conversica rep, she's, you know, she can do 10,000 conversations or how many ever conversations she does a day where someone maybe can do 50 a person. And so if it can get us quickly into the people who are ready to buy or have a conversation or talk with a rep, then I think it's worthwhile. And, you know, they're learning different languages like Spanish. It allows us to get in other geographies faster. And if someone has a support question, you can route them to support. So I do think it's a very cost-effective way to triage. Right. And I think also it's worth recognizing that it means that SDRs can kind of you know, focus on higher impact work as opposed to just the manual repetition of work that could be just... Well, also, I think most SDRs will call three times, email, and then move on. Mm -hmm. And all the studies show us, right, like InsideSales.com, it's seven, eight, nine times that it actually takes. So if you're moving on fast, you're leaving money on the table where the Conversica will keep reaching out and interacting and doesn't just give up after three. And, and as we sort of look into kind of Q4 and also 2019, is there any sort of particular trends that you're um, excited about going forward? I mean, certainly, I think, you know, for so long, we've been trying to do everything digital and online. And I feel like, and maybe it's the stage of the company I'm at right now, we're shifting to more relationship mm -hmm. building and being back in the field and that customer experience. And so I, I think you're gonna need you're gonna need to maintain both, uh, and and that customer in the field experience is more expensive. But I think the returns, at least for enterprise biz business and B two B enterprise, matters a lot for your sales team. So being able to serve both uh, is gonna matter. Certainly, Conversica with 
the machine learning and the you know artificial intelligence. We see a lot of trends that way. There's a lot of talk around ABM, which I think has been around forever, but it's more facilitating and automating that process and coordinating between marketing and sales. Great. Okay. Well, Megan, thanks a million for joining us. Yeah, it was great to have you. Thank you for having me. Cheers. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.